It's Wednesday, March 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Alicia Alfieri in the house. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Chris. I'm so happy to be here. So we've got the business of entertainment, we've got consumer staples, but we're going to start today in the cloud. MongoDB, the cloud database company, wrapped up its fiscal year. Fourth quarter revenue was higher than expected. The loss was smaller than expected. So both of those are great, but guidance for the new fiscal year was a little lower than Wall Street was hoping for. So shares of MongoDB are also a little lower this morning. Yeah, that's right. So let's start by talking about what MongoDB does. Um, so I would say that right now our our world is is filled with data, um, and and uh, and it's software applications, right? And so a database is at the heart of all of that data and the software applications, especially when we get into more complex data, right? So Facebook, for example, they have uh, data from uh, text that you might upload onto the site, uh, photos, videos, and these items can't be stored in the, the structured database of the past with rows and columns. Instead, we need a non-structured solution. Um, and, and that's where companies like MongoDB come into play. Um, so let's talk about uh, their results, starting with revenues. Um, so as you mentioned, so revenue for fourth quarter was pretty good. Uh, they Their revenue grew 38% year over year, which beat the company's high-end guidance uh, for that time. Their subscriptions grew 39%. And a lot of that is based on the growth from Atlas, which is the cloud version of their database product. Um, so Atlas revenues increased 66% year over year, and they now account for about 49% of the company's overall revenues. Um, as you mentioned, uh, th there are losses. Uh, so they ended the quarter and the year with losses. So net loss of about 76 million in the quarter which was worse than the net loss uh, last year of $62.5 for that same quarter. Um, but management isn't really focused on profitability right now. Management is instead focused on growth and getting new users in the door. So, so the thing that's most important, again, building up that user base, and they do that uh, in a few different ways. So they have their, their free-to-download version of their database, uh, which is their community uh, platform. And they, they focus on, uh, they focus less on securing long-term contracts, more on adding as many new clients as possible, and then moving them toward that Atlas cloud subscription. Um, so, so good question is, so if they're focused on customers, so how many customers uh, do they have and have they grown? Uh, so for the fourth quarter, they ended with 24,800 customers, which is up 46% year over year. So that's really good growth. Uh, again, this growth was was driven by Atlas. Uh, so they had their their cloud-based customers growing 51% year over year, uh, which is which is pretty impressive. And they're going to continue to focus on expansion, uh, both in products and in customers, um, which we could see from uh, the increase of 45% in sales and marketing expenses that they've been uh, uh, doing, as well as a 38% increase in, in R&D. So you touched on guidance uh, <laughs> earlier. Uh, so right now, they're targeting 28 to 30% increase in revenues for their, their fiscal first quarter, uh, which is the three months ending in April. And for the full year, they're targeting about 26 to 30% in revenues, which 
Uh, as you said, the street was a little <laughs> disappointed in that. Um, it, it is a modest, but but I think uh, respectable uh, forecast, partially due to the COVID impact. So they haven't seen a, a real big impact from COVID in terms of getting additional customers, whether it's from their community um, free software or from Atlas. But what, they're, what they have seen some impact in is the expansion of their products. And so I think that's why we see that less than exciting uh, revenue forecast from them. Well, and you look at the stock, it's, I mean, uh, you know, we've seen uh, over the last few weeks, days when any number of um, cloud stocks, tech stocks, uh, pretty much everything trading on the NASDAQ is down 5% or more in a single day. It's only down a couple of percentage points and it's, and it's still more than doubled from where it was a year ago. Um, do you get the sense that, I, I don't want to say they're sandbagging, but do you get the sense that... Uh, Management is sort of looking at the guidance for the fiscal year and saying, "Yeah, we think this is achievable. We're not. There's no upside to us going out and uh, going with some astronomical growth projection because um, we want to be able to hit whatever targets we put out there." Exactly. I I think that a lot of times when management does give forward-looking guidance, again, remember. During the COVID, some businesses didn't necessarily give any guidance, right? So I think that when they do, you know, it really benefits them to to give these modest forecasts so that they could beat them and and feel good when they do. Second quarter sales for Campbell's Soup were lower than expected. Uh, this stock also selling off uh, again down. Just a couple of percent. Um, uh, although, unlike MongoDB, this stock has not doubled over the past year. This stock is actually down about ten percent over the past year. And uh, what's going on here? I mean, this is this is a consumer staple business, and just from a brand perspective, a a rock solid to really good one. Um, is Campbell's running into production problems? What what is going on here? Um, well, it's complicated, right? So, so 2020 was a weird year for them. They were in the middle of a turnaround story, um, and then COVID came in, and there was this huge amount of demand, which they benefited from. So, so they did post revenue gains for the quarter ending January. Uh, they were up about five percent year over year. Like you talked about, they have those powerful brands. Um, a lot of this growth was was driven by uh, increase in in soups, ten uh, percent growth year year over year, as a lot of people are starting to cook with soups uh, from home. They also have uh, the key brands of their snack segment was also up about 8%. So those are the salty snacks that we're all eating during COVID, as well as cookies that I enjoy like Pepperidge Farms. Um, nearly 75% of their brands held or group market share. Um, and these increases were driven by consumer demands, like we talked about, right? More people staying home to cook and snacking, um, but the company did see declines in their food service, um, which is for businesses and schools. And those fell, again, due to COVID because people are staying home and we're not as opened um, as we have been in the past. There were some supply issues. So they talked about this on their earnings call a bit this morning. Um, so they were ready for the holiday season. Like I said, their quarter ended in January, so they had their product in place for that. Um, but they did have some issues with restocking afterward, and that was partially due to COVID. Um, in terms of their net earnings, like I talked about, prior to COVID, 
COVID, Campbell's was in the middle of the turnaround story. They were looking to bolster their core meal and beverage divisions and selling off non-core assets like uh, they had a Dutch snack company and I believe also an Australian snack company. Um, They're looking to reduce debt and drive growth. Um, so if we take the take away the impact of their discontinued operations, so we could get a like an apples to apples comparison, their net in their net earnings increased in the quarter by 43%, which is, you know, pretty solid. But if we look at, you know, what it was with those discontinued earnings, so the actual uh, earnings last year was an 80% decline, um, which is a, a little bit disappointing, obviously, <laughs> or more than a little bit. Um, but they're continuing those cost, uh, cost-cutting measures uh, to be able to continue with their turnaround story. Um, and and their... Um, they have a goal of getting to $850 million in cost savings uh, for their full fiscal year. And that's going to be important for them moving forward to really set up to move away from being a turnaround story um, and more and more to a growth story. But as we move forward, they're going to have some issues with year-over-year comparisons. Um, you know, they, they had pretty stellar growth last year because of COVID. And so now moving forward, it's going to be a little bit difficult uh, year for year. Um, but they're optimistic about the future. They do recognize that there might be some supply issues moving forward because of, of COVID issues. Um, but they're they're really optimistic and hoping that consumers continue to buy their products uh, even after the pandemic uh, due to taste and convenience. And they're looking to add more convenient sizes um, to their packages, more flavors, and healthier ingredients. We were talking earlier about companies offering guidance to varying degrees, and it seems like at least a little bit of what's happening with the stock today for Campbell's is Mark Klaus, the CEO. You know, there were there were questions on the call where he basically didn't feel comfortable offering guidance with respect to things like, well, what are you seeing? You know, can you give us some insight into? Certain parts of the country that are opening up more than others, and 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 I, by the way, I'm not knocking him for doing that, um, but I, I I do think it points to something we've talked about on this show before, which is that over the next three to six months, there are going to be businesses that aren't going to get the that are not going to be offering as much guidance as Wall Street analysts want. And therefore, some of them are not going to get the benefit of the doubt. And I think, you know, for all of the reasons that you mentioned with respect to Campbell's turnaround, they're, you know, unfortunately for them, they're just not one of those businesses right now. It does, however, sort of set them up as a potential value play because, you know, the stock down 10% over the past year, it's not an expensive stock if you look at it on a valuation basis. You know, there is a version where a year from now, two years from now, this is, you know, for people looking for that uh, sort of slow, steady bedrock part of their portfolio, this, this could be a good addition. Agreed, especially if they're able to to take advantage of those those cost-cutting measures. Um, I'd also like to note that, that they do pay a dividend as well. So, if you like dividend stocks, it's it, there's a potential here, I think. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Got an email from Rebecca in Illinois who writes, Disney Plus just passed 100 million subscribers. Who should be more worried, Netflix or every other streaming service not named Netflix? I love the way this is set up. Um, <laughs> uh, 
What do you, I mean, we can, we can pull a lot of different threads here, but just to Rebecca's basic question, what do you think? Who should be more worried? Yeah, and well, full disclosure here first. So I I, I do own stock in Disney, um, but I do think that out of out of all of the streaming services, I do think that Disney is is the most likely to challenge Netflix. Um, now, can they? That, that that's a whole different question. Um, but I I do think that they have a strong pipeline for content. Right when we think about all of the movies, characters, and stories um, that they can put uh, to use, even with new and interesting plot lines. Right, we looked at um, the Mandalorian, which which came out recently, as well as WandaVision and the upcoming Falcon uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Right, those are all like content um, that that will definitely drive viewership. Um, but I, I think that they, they are definitely in, in the war for the spot of number two. I think that they're winning, right? So Disney has over a million, uh, sorry, over 100 million subscribers. HBO Max, about uh, 17 million activated users, which are people who downloaded the app or paid for it. Peacock, which also has a free component to it, uh, which is an interesting play there. 33 million subscribers. And they're hoping to boost this by having WE. Uh, WWE content, which starts this month. So that's an interesting play there. And I think Amazon Prime has, I, I want to say, about 56 million uh, subscribers. So Disney is definitely strongly in the spot of number two. But Netflix has 200 million worldwide subscribers at the end of 2020. And that's massive, right? Uh, so Netflix has this big lead in terms of su subscribers and in terms of being a content powerhouse, right? Disney has that strong pipeline, but I think it's dangerous to underestimate Netflix, right? They're releasing a movie a week this year, which is incredible. And that's not even, you know, taking into account all of the all of the shows, right? They're they're building up their presence in in terms of international offerings, right? Like with uh, titles like Money Heist. So so I don't know. I think Disney's got a fighting chance, <laughs> but I don't know if they could overcome it. What do you think? I think that, you know, the, what you touched on at the very end there is is the part that I think a lot of people don't think about in the United States, which is the potential for international growth. And I think, you know, and I'm not, I, you know, I think Peacock has gotten off to a, a pretty impressive start. Um, we'll see... Um, what the numbers look like a month or two from now, to the extent that Paramount Plus, um, we get some insight into those numbers. So I, 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 I think that um, in the short term, it's a little bit like the wild, wild west. I, I wouldn't bet against anyone. Longer term, though, international growth becomes more and more important. And I think at the moment, Netflix and Disney are the two best that are set up for that. So in terms of like, you know, who should be more worried? I, I, right now, it seems like Disney is working its way into the Netflix category of, well, if you're going to subscribe to a streaming service, um, you know, Netflix is the default one because of just how much content they have. And then, as you said, Disney Plus is has established itself already as a very strong second place. Everybody else is fighting for third. Agreed, and and it's really 
competitive market. And there are things that are happening that are really interesting that makes this content war conversation so interesting, right? We saw Amazon Amazon Prime is also negotiating with the NFL to potentially have those Thursday night games streaming, which which could be a major game changer for them. I'm I'm not sure. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you also have uh, operators like Quibi, who, you know, really. Oh boy, poor Quibi. Yeah. <laughs> the the short <laughs> the so short well. sad life of Quibi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so it is like the wild wild west uh, in the content wars. But it's exciting to watch. That's right. And just like the actual Wild Wild West, there's a body count. And unfortunately for Quibi, uh, they were not the quick. They were the dead. Uh, Alicia Alfieri, thanks so much for being here. Thanks. So glad to be here. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.